Welcome back to the Think Education podcast. We are joined again today. Not again today. We are joined today again. That doesn't. That still doesn't sound right in my head. We have another guest for International Voices while I work out how to reconstitute the English language. Um, <laughs> and um, this one today, we're going to be talking about some really interesting issues that Judith and I have touched on uh, in previous podcasts, and indeed, have, I think we've talked about quite a lot in the in the book that we're about to finish off, specifically about leadership uh, and support within and outside higher education. And so I'm going to hand over to Judith to introduce our guest speaker today, not again, for the first time, um, um, but I'll hand over to Judith who will have a better attempt at English and introduce our, our guest today. Please, Judith. Thanks very much, Chris. Well, I've got mine written down. There you go. So and I've you, no there's just professionalism and then there's yes, me, there's right? Me. There you go. That's right. It's just, it's Friday. That's true. What I'm That's true. Uh, now, we are delighted today to be joined by uh, Kerry Nursall, who's the Chief Executive of the National Centre for Entrepreneurship in uh, Education, so NCEE. Um, and uh, Kerry and I actually worked together. I was working out, and I think when we first met Kerry, it was maybe 15 years ago. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not that. Um, 
It is though about um, resilience and agility. Um, it's an ability to manage and adapt to change um, and being able to seize opportunities, recognize the opportunities and, 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 and seize them. Um, it's about making a better future really and improving w what there is. Um, we we place that within a context of entrepreneurial universities and what whilst we work with leaders we are working increasingly across institutions now because we all need to be entrepreneurial within higher education we have to spot opportunities we have to change and we have to keep um keep being agile really and, and nothing stays still and we could say we're in a particular environment now where we particularly need entrepreneurial leadership. But I would argue, I don't think things will change. change you know, I think change is the one constant. And um, so, so, yeah, so that's what we, we do. We work with leaders across, across the world. And this isn't about you're either an entrepreneurial leader or not. It's about being authentic to your leadership style, but being able to adopt entrepreneurial characteristics, if you like, um, and, um, and, and being able to ensure your institution and you yourself uh, are resilient and, um, and thrive in this environment. Great. Good, good answer. Good answer, Kerry. Kerry Nurse. <laughs> Very, but it sounds um, a very positive type of leadership, would you say? In what you've just described, a lot of that sounded positive. I, I was just wondering whether there are aspects of entrepreneurial leadership that connect into risk or connect into that kind of aspect of it as well. Yeah, we, yeah and we deal with risk. Um, and people often consider their entrepreneurial leadership as taking lots of risk. Um, you know, whenever we change anything, there's a risk associated with it. Um, but it's about a management of risk. And we've all got different, um, uh, we, we, we've all got different sensitivities to the risk that we would be able to take. Um, we do promote um, and, in, and um, embrace and encourage our leaders to embrace things that fail because we're not going to be truly innovative and creative um, and everything to be 100% successful. But we're not mavericks. We are doing it within a context in, of higher education, a regulated body, um, and it's about calculated risk. And it's about, um, yes, making brave decisions sometimes, but actually doing that in a way that means you are embracing diversity of thought, you are listening to challenge and you are open to debate to be able to make those right decisions. Um, I mean, uh, people come on our programmes for a variety of reasons and, you know, pe people will think about entrepreneurial lead leadership maybe as something that they think they're good at or they want to improve on or something that they feel they um they want to develop or and also we've got those that have been put on the program and and are really resistant to the to the idea at the beginning because 
is it just about yeah is it about taking risky decisions is it about um you know doing something that takes me totally outside of my comfort zone sometimes yes but actually a lot of the time it's just about um leading um a change or leading an improvement or or leading a different way of thinking about stuff um and that's need as i think we all should be doing that yeah that's um that's really interesting and before i pass on to to chris just to just to sort of finish this loop in a way i don't know maybe i've just got one of those obsessed by risk days uh, in my head um but it, it is it as well then you know that the there's that embracing of risk in order to potentially therefore accelerate you down a path more quickly towards something that's successful than simply an acceptance of risk and an acceptance that you have to do something just in order to to be doing what you're doing the day to day do you see what i mean that that in a way the more risk you take that's calculated the the more swiftly you're going to enable yourself to either succeed in what you're trying to do or accelerate the change that maybe you're trying to drive forward I would I suppose I would counter that with we take risks every single day don't we we cannot be wholly risk averse and you know um you will have had a day today leading in Swansea where you have taken uh, you there have been some risks associated with the decisions that you've taken and um, and, the, and the things that you've been doing. Um, I'm not saying, I don't think we ever say during entrepreneurial leadership, you have to make the bigger, riskier decisions um, with greater fear of, greater opportunity for failure. It's about making decisions and about taking risks in a calculated way so you know what those risks are and uh, you know and I, th- and I think we are we are scared of failure in higher education I don't think when I was working in higher education I ever said I failed that pro- that project failed um and that's not and um, I think I found ways out of that because think but you know uh, and I was leading an area that had to be quite innovative, quite creative. And actually, was it because nothing failed? It was because I wasn't trying hard enough? <laughs> you, you know? Um, um, so risk is, a di- risk is a difficult one. And I think, and I think we... We... We place it in a managed environment. Uh, yeah, yeah. Judith and I have, have talked about risk, and then risk, you know, linked to sustainability, and and then sort of underpinned or overshadowed by leadership. It's it's been a recurring theme in in many of the conversations uh, Judith and I have had. I, I was wondering, Essie, because. To bring it back, if I may, to, to one of the, the points you made, I guess, before the, the specific risk question, where I, I'm, I'm, I'm very interested in, I guess, both specifically how the, the notion of entrepreneurial leadership 
applies to higher education, but also how you, you know, articulate that. Because one of the things that Judith and I have talked about a lot and indeed written a lot about is the very identity of a university and, and how that actually shapes the activities and actions that it takes, particularly in terms of we've thought a lot about collaboration and partnership and obviously internationalization, whether it's at distance or, or you know, physical bricks and mortars. Um, and, you know, the, there are, yes, of course, there are risk issues. Yes, there are sustainability issues, but universities are by and large bound by their traditions and their traditions and their place sort of give them a sense of identity and often... I, it, it, just sort of listening to your dis- description of entrepreneurial leadership, it's it's a very forward-thinking, you know, sort of developmental activity. And universities are typically, if we can say, you know, more. They don't take decisions very quickly necessarily. And and you know that it's one of those things about how do you say something without not insulting the very thing that you are and that you work for and it's becoming increasingly difficult with words but hopefully you understand what i'm saying that you know universities are are you know our tradition and our, our reputation rests on our previous experience and our stability and, and our very ability to sort of you know carry on that identity for the future degrees that we're going to give and we're often responsive maybe more than we are proactive so i, I was interested if you could maybe speak up a little more about when you get higher education people with your courses is there a lot of resistance are they are they open how do you how do you articulate this this notion no, sorry notion seems i don't mean to underplay it but yes in this this sort of conversation how do you how do you how do you address this yeah and and, and i think let, let's put that in context as well so there's the sort of people that we have on our programs are across the university spectrum so we'll have registrars we'll have director of finance um you know and then we'll have heads of school or dbc so very different approaches to um (laughs) entrepreneurialism and innovation if you like um uh, and some areas you might imagine would actively resist it i suppose but actually when you say that um, you're bound by traditions and place. Well, actually, place doesn't stay the same. You know, our, our, the place that we're, you know, either you're located in or the places that you work are not the same, and they are changing, and they need new and innovative solutions and support. So, actually, being bound by a place is, isn't um, uh, doesn't mean we're looking to a to a past. Traditions are difficult. And I would, and where we would separate it out is the difference between traditions and values. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think institutions, values, and ethics, and we do talk a lot about that, and the culture of an institution, you know, they're bound by, you know, they can be bound by their history, they can be bound by their leadership, but, you know, that a, a place grows there. Uh, I think their values and their, and, and actually, um, and we've, we've written about this before. It's about actually keeping true to those values helps you manage all that innovation because it gives you the framework from which you are working. You know, our, our institutions, particularly over the last few years, you know, uh, there's been raft after raft of um uh, you know, Black Lives Matters, Me Too, uh, you know, and institutions have had to respond. Um, 
be innovative, creative and, and, and change some practice as well in terms of response to these. Very difficult if you're not bound by your values. And, you know, so I would, I would change traditions to values because I think traditions can be traditions can be changed and you know but our but but values we will hold dear so 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 you know you can see someone coming at that you know you're in an institution you are you are seeing a change of place you will see what your values are and you might want to change some of the traditions that that you inhabit um so we would come at it like that and if you come at it like that you you can see nothing, nothing stays the same. And in terms of sometimes organisations moving slowly, I think that's where, that's where we know institutions can move quickly now. Mm. We, we've seen what happened um, with the pandemic. We've seen how quickly we can flip that switch and change learning and teaching to change assessment, you know, be incredibly creative um, with our engagement with students and how, how we work as, as an organisation. So we know we can do it. And, it, and actually, that's, you know, um, I think that's now our challenge is to make sure we continue that innovation and change um, um, and, it, and enable it so we can move quickly where we need to. Um, maybe to, to if we can come back to that point in a minute um, Kerry actually particularly in terms of you know the, the changes and what we've learned from the pandemic anyway and, and the changes that might have been accelerated because of it but I was I'm particularly interested in your your thoughts and and the discussion that you've just been having around around values and around value-based and, and around not necessarily traditions but values how then, you, because thinking of the experience that you've got as well in working internationally, so you work, as, as we, we just talked about, you know, you, you work in China, you work in Europe, you work in the Middle East, you work in lots of different places. And you, I imagine as well on some of your programmes that you lead, bring people from all of those different places together. How do you manage, therefore, then, when you're looking at a values-based system, you know, to bring individuals together and people together when they've got very, very different values themselves, cultural values, personal values, you know, how, how do you manage those different sorts of value-based systems at the same time in, in the international space? Hey. Um, yeah, you know, that's interesting, isn't it? And, um, you know, we've been working across, yeah, or, or across Europe, across the Middle East, China, very different, um, very different cultures, very different um, uh, uh, institutional systems. But actually, um, you know, once we strip away sort of, I suppose, the regulatory requirements people are under or um, some of the, um, you know, more uh, obvious differences underneath it all, we are all actually working to ed educate people, um, improve our society 
and improve our economies. Now, we might come at that a different way. <laughs> um, and we might... You know, but the... Uh, but the challenges remain the same. And actually, so once we've got beyond a sort of um, a super, superficial difference, if you like, you know, the, the, the work we are doing is very, um, it, it is all related. So um, to, to be entrepreneurial, we're all trying to be entrepreneurial and creative and innovative within a global world that, and within our own regulatory frameworks and it's about therefore how do you do that within those frameworks and I mean it, it, it struck me really um, strongly when we were um, you know we were working in Tunisia um, uh, huge um, graduate unemployment rates um, and, and so turning out graduates to into a world where you know what were they contributing they're going you know not going into work and it, and it was it creating some um, difficulties in the country, and actually that's not such a different challenge, you know. What, what how are we creating these graduates to to really make an impact in our society and our economies? Can they be creative in terms of their career and life choices, and can we support them in that? No different, no no different really, um, and so. Um, and, and so that's been heartwarming, you know, when we are very aware of difference that within that higher education spectrum, it's been, I mean, there are challenges. I mean, you know, the, the, I'm not going to, the, the nature of Chinese education is very different from, from a UK. Um, but they want, as a, you know, they want to, you know, um, operate in a global world they want the best you know economy they want the best society and they want their students to contribute to that so we're all working in the same um, for the same end ultimately what about I mean you, you mentioned aspects as well though when you were talking about you know, values around around culture around race you know maybe around inclusivity yeah. as well and equality and, and diversity how how do you maybe look at some of those areas within the entrepreneurial leadership landscape because that again if you're looking internationally um, can be there can be very um yeah. differing views there can't they appreciating your point though about a commonality of purpose very often but how you might get there and who might get there and how you might behave in order to be able to get there um, might change quite a bit, mightn't it? So if you, if you also then, through um, NCE as well, and through, let's say, some of the, the, the leadership programmes you you lead, you, 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 um, you have, um, have you looked particularly at aspects of equality and diversity and inclusion? Where we, we come at this is from um, how we can enable our staff and our teams and um, those that you know work throughout the institution to be able to contribute. Um, Ken Sloan who's the Vice-Chancellor at Harper Adams um, spoke about this at, at length he's been a He's, he's he's been at Warwick University. Went over to China and and, and um, was at Monash and, and is now back in the UK. 
And he was talking about how can you be truly entrepreneurial when you don't um, allow people of any background, you know, of all backgrounds to contribute to thought. Um, And, you know, the the point he was making and the point we subscribe to, you know, is that we are seeking, as as universities, we are seeking to develop um, for society um, uh, new uh, new thought, new products, new services that will all benefit society for all people. And the only way to to um, identify and curate these solutions is is to mobilise a university talent, you know, an entire talent base. And that's an entire, you know, the, the difference and diversity of thought. And a lot of our work goes into how do you bring your team to allow those, diff, you know, and to be creative and entrepreneurial themselves. We have got a lot of work to do and we haven't shied away from it, but it's challenging in terms of diversifying our university leadership and diversifying the thoughts of university leadership where we want to come at it is if can we diversify it throughout an institution and enable that contribution so that it's it's not just a singular strata within a university it's it's being broader and it needs to be doesn't it because otherwise it's not going to be sustainable it, it yeah. is going to be there for the period of time in which it's there, but individuals move on, things change, as you say, and it's, it's constantly changing. And unless you've really got something plugged into the ecosystem in, in its entirety, then it's simply not going to survive, is it? I mean, what, what, before I hand over to, to, to Chris for another question, I just wanted to go back on your point around uh, the speed of change particularly, you know, what was illustrated during the the pandemic, what we had to do because there was no choice, you know. So, you know, having, as as Chris was mentioning, sometimes universities aren't the swiftest things in the world when they're trying to do something. Um, And and, and yet, you know, the pandemic, we really had to move very swiftly into areas and doing new things that we'd never done before. Do you think, and have you seen... Specifically, I suppose, with reference to leadership, any changes since the pandemic? Um, I, I, I think things are still settling down. We, we, and we all got together um, about um, a, a year ago now, which was, you know, we were all just emerging. And actually, all people wanted to do was speak to each other, see people in the flesh and and, and have a chat, you know, with people outside their own institutions. And and things have settled down. Um, But I think there's still an exhaustion in university leadership at the moment. And I don't think we still have grappled with some of those leadership changes that we needed to make. 
So, you know, we saw during the pandemic, didn't we, this, you know, incredible personalization towards people being able to work, you know, people are able to work from home, they were able to work different hours, people recognized people at home schooling, there was, you know, there was real recognition. I remember talking to one vice chancellor, you know, who, you know, made it possible, you know, for certain members of the staff to come into the institution because they could not be at home. That level of understanding of the person I'd never seen that before um, and there's there's some elements of it that you know people want it to swing back it, it can't entirely swing back and I think we're in just a very um, uh, interesting place where I hope we grasp it as leaders in terms of how do you manage in, you know, how do you manage people now in a different way? How do you lead in a different way? Um, and how do you? And I'll be absolutely honest. A lot of a lot of the conversations we are having with um, leaders now is around how do you not get exhausted? How do you? You know, how do you? Um, manage the speed everyone expects you to work at now but also have that time to think and but the, the and I think the thing is that's different now is that people realize they want time and need time to think so in terms of where we are we're seeing a massive change in our in and when we work with leaders but it's still, I think, I think we're still in a place where we're not entirely, um, we've not entirely landed there yet. I mean, I just said I was going to pass over to Chris, but I'm going to leap in again, um, just because I think what really struck me then, when you were saying, Kerry, there as well, is about that, about time to think for people. And do you think sometimes with leaders as well, your leaders are, are so busy trying to be everything to everyone 24 7 superhuman um that they almost forget that you do need to have that period of time when you're thinking in order actually to be effective as well in terms of what you're even doing but that in some way it 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 it, it seems like some form of a weakness if you're not there 24 7 and you are saying well actually no sorry you can't fill my diary from 7 30 in the morning to 7 30 at night because i might want at a certain point in there to just be processing some thoughts have you sort of seen that as well we we've, we've we've seen that an awful lot actually and i think you know people were working at such speed during the pandemic people were lurching from one crisis to another you know, there was um, so much busyness. You had to do this, you had to do that, you had to do that. And even, you know, I came out of the pandemic as well and we'd lurched and I just found myself still in that mindset. Well, actually, you know, there wasn't as, as much as a, of a crisis, but I was defining myself as being busy. And I think we, and I, and I think there can be a tendency uh, senior senior leadership to be busy you you will you know sit in meetings constantly you will you know be dealing with um all the sort of day-to-day -day stuff and i think you know we've had we are 
trying to working with our leaders to enable them to carve out time to sit and think, to play, um, to, to to just get some focus on some of those knottier problems. And, you know, but it, it, it's incredibly important role modelling. So, you know, we will see people and we will talk to people. And this sounds, it just sounds so... But, you know, people are putting time in their diary, but hiding it. You know, it's it's a meeting with Sheila someone was putting in. They had this meeting with Sheila every couple of weeks. And who, everyone was, who's the Sheila? Well, it was their thinking time. And we were, you know, we were advising people to do that. And all that shouldn't be hidden. It shouldn't be hidden. And, and you know, the leaders that we work with and the vice chancellors that we come and talk, you know, we... we, we Blissitly ask them to talk through that. Because if we're not thinking the big thoughts, if we're not having time to do that, we won't, we'll only take small steps forward, if, if at all. Um, so um, there is a real, I think there is a real challenge to do that. Um, and and oh, we would encourage everyone to role model that. I'm curious, Kerry, if, because, I mean, I, I am in complete agreement with with literally everything that's just been said, and, and I, it should not be hidden. I mean, it, it's not a weakness. Um, it's a it's potentially a weakness to hide it, you know, in the sense that if to make it, you know, is it, so perversely, it's actually that being, you know, particularly when with everything we now know that we've learned through the pandemic, you know, our increased conversations about mental health and well-being and balance and, you know, and particularly when we're thinking about people who are making rapid decisions that are potentially very risk heavy, you know, the the more, you know, not serene, but the more composed they can be by having had time to actually think about this, obviously, is, is um, I'm, I'm curious, is because obviously a lot of what you're you're describing is is not unique to higher education i mean th- this type of of you know lifestyle is is probably comparable across many different different industries particularly in the senior leadership i'm i'm wondering is there something maybe not unique but is there something specific that higher education either can learn from others or indeed can can you know convey information to others in terms of sharing knowledge that has been gained you know is, is there something specific about the higher education structure and the leadership within it um that we can learn from um or, you know or, or indeed export i mean it's difficult isn't it i think one of the hardest things with higher education and higher education leadership and the way in which we work is that it seems quite difficult um, for, for, you know, the long standing in universities, if you like, to break out of what of, of a, a mechanism of working. And, and you, you know, it, it is, there are, there are very few and far, you know, it's the newer institutions, isn't it, that are coming in and being a bit more disruptive about this. I mean, Coventry's got a really interesting model. You know, they, you know, they put everything into their um, uh, their separate company. You know, Scarborough's run out as, of, of, of a separate organisation. They can do things differently. They set up their digital outside of their university structure, if you like. 
um, so they could just, you know, respond quite quickly, um, you know, and um, and when um, Lincoln um, had to move quickly, otherwise Siemens would be gone to the region, it, they're almost working outside of the, the, the structures that, that, that they have. So when you say that, um, you know, it, it's not unique, actually sometimes the way we work is unique, you know, and we, we take in leadership styles from corporate sector, say, and then, and then try and shove it into what is, you know, um, you know, sometimes a quite Byzantine committee structure, and, you know, and we try and adopt different leadership styles because we've seen that elsewhere and we're still trying to shove it into um, in, into um, a very traditional way of working, which all universities will, will do, um, you know, and, and the, the greatest, you know, the, the more we can move some of the more we can break out of some of those, you know, um, going back to your words, you know, that sort of um, uh, traditions, um, uh, uh, the better we will be. So can we take examples from elsewhere? Yes, and, and we do. And, um, you know, we, we, we regularly have contributions from other areas that have faced similar huge change, you know, massive cultural change from the BBC when they moved to the North. Huge transformational projects in the NHS. Um, but I do think um, it, it, we have to uh, break some of those... Um, uh, it, it's a brave university that will totally change and I think it will be the disruptors from outside that will force us into new ways of working. Um, but this is, this is that's why we think, you know, entrepreneurial leadership is so important because it's got, I, I, I think, I think there is a uniqueness about the higher education sector and that's why we do focus on higher education. There is a uniqueness Um but I'm not saying that it's a uniqueness that we need to cling on to, but, but that's what it is. I suppose if you're not too careful in in your efforts to be singularly unique, you can be extinct as well, can't you? You know, it's uh, you, you need to work as part of that broader ecosystem, I suppose, as well, don't you? On that note, then... Um, Kerry, how do you see the future of how we might lead then in higher education? You know, as by by learning about how how we lead in other areas above you just mentioned actually about about the BBC, about the NHS, about all of these other big types about let's say the British Council actually. If you think of our own, you know, if you think of higher education, you know how we learn from others, how we potentially, I suppose, as well, work together with others. If you think about universities, if you think about my own, you know, at Swansea, we've got, I would imagine, hundreds of different types of collaborations and partnerships. Some of them are with academic institutions. Many of them are with third-party providers. Many of them are with industry and business, you know, how, how do you how do you think you know the future of how we lead in higher education might be shaped by the way in which the world is going and um, to try and make us survive and be successful? 
And yeah, and yes, um, I mean, partnership with others is essential and in a different way. I mean, you know, and I spoke recently about that it can't be a project. It's got to be, you know, we can't go and go, well, let's do a project with the local authority and we'll do something around regenerating this area in the field. It's got to be more systemic than that. And I I still think there's something in institutions that hasn't created those systemic partnerships. But I think what we've got to do as a sector and, and is re- really recognise that change is constant and that for all staff, they've got to embrace that. You know, you'll, you, you know, you'll go through a faculty restructure and you'll go, oh, that's done. That change is done. Well, it's not. <laughs> it's not complete. And, and I know we all need a break from change sometimes, but actually there is, you know, the world is moving so quick. And I think as institutions, we've got to be a bit more agile and fleet of foot and up for the change um, and not go, oh, we've done that restructure, right, we can do this. Here's our strategic plan for the next 10 years and we'll put it in place. Well, who knows what... 10 years will look like we have got to I think be an organization that 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 moves quicker and 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 moves constantly and I would say the place and you know you're talking about partnerships partnerships across place are going to be incredibly important I think you know we are in situations where you know there's not a lot of money you know we've got real societal and economic challenges and and globally, if we're not working globally, um, we become more insular. So I think um, I think the future systemic engagement and a recognition that um, change is just a constant. Just sounds slightly exhausting, but it can be really exciting. <laughs> I was trying not to say that word myself, actually, but yes, you're right, though, isn't it? It is, it is exhausting at the same time, actually. Um, I suppose if you are doing this in collaboration, if you are working together across your institution, beyond the institution, it's almost a bit like a relay race, isn't it? You, you, you all have a little bit of time to pause as well and reflect and to think and to, to have a bit of a break from everything. But at the same time, you're still keeping that momentum of going forward you know, because we need to do that, don't we? There's, there's actually no option for us, but as you say, to, to embrace that change, but you can do it in a very positive and collaborative and collegiate way. It, it, change can be incredibly energising, and that's one of the things we want to embrace within within our entrepreneurial leadership, is that it it, it, it doesn't have to be a negative change it can be incredibly empowering can give agency to um to staff and to to, you know people within our organizations and it it can be incredibly energizing so um we can put the positive on it is there a way it just as simple as do you use the word change because I, i i agree with your point there that change often has a you know, uh, a worrying concept for many people, right? Change means moving away from the norm or the stability. I mean, obviously, it doesn't have to, but um, how, how are you able to put that, as you say, that sort of positive spin on it, right? Because it, it is it is 
can be very liberating. It can be very energizing. It can can be very creatively rewarding. Right? There, there are clearly avenues that it, it's it's a huge positive. You know, but a university is a, as you say, it's a it's a fairly you know <laughs> structured organism where you've you've got no. This is how we do it, and we've got our faculty for the next ten years. And you know, no, 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 we're not we're not touching that. Um, um, and almost it seems like there might be a mismatch between you know, what's happening at the leadership level and what's happening within the sort of, you know, the structure organization level. And, and I'm wondering how, how maybe those conversations happen. Um, and, and I think that's it. And I think, you know, where we, we've, we've come at it over the last year and we've been piloting is about entrepreneurial teams. So it's actually, you know, it's not the leader that's always coming along going, right, we need to restructure this. But actually, you know, and that's where... That's where the excitement comes from because it's coming from the t- This isn't right. This doesn't work. Why are we sitting in this meeting doing it this way? Why can't why why can't we teach people like this? Why are we doing the assessment like this? Why are we um, why are we entering into that partnership that's not going to last that look? Why are we actually that you know that um, that that gives huge agency. It creates change and it it's incredibly positive. So that's that's the shift i think and and where change doesn't work is where there's it just comes down on you yeah really i mean in a way just thinking about what you were saying a little while ago um leaders leaders need time to think don't they but they also need to listen yeah Um, and i think they need to hear at the same time and i don't um and I don't, and I'm using on purpose both of those words because sometimes you listen, don't you? But it's almost right. Yeah, I've listened. And now I'm going to say what I'm going to say anyway. But I think the seems to me from what you're saying as well that ability of real and true leaders to listen, to hear others, and then have you know have the confidence in themselves to act on other people's ideas that might be counter to to their own. Is really something that will be again another evidence of what a good entrepreneurial leader should be like. Yeah, and and we purposefully, you know, dismiss that. You know, there's a theory of leadership where you have a followship, isn't there? You know, you're the leader, and then you. Well, actually, that's 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 what we want to break down, because actually. Um, as we said right at the beginning, you won't get uh, you you won't get better decision. <laughs> you won't get you, you won't get richer thought if you're leaving out a whole swathe of your community. Absolutely, Kerry. We could talk to you forever, but we're not going to because, in the spirit of true leadership, as well, leave you out. See, we think that. On a Friday afternoon at a certain point, you should have leave to go. But thank you so much. You know, it will would be great to talk to you again about a number of the points actually that you've raised. I mean, I think you know the, the area around partnership and place and all of those aspects. Yeah. I think would be really interesting for us to have a think about. You know, about the role modelling side about systemic partnerships side. I think there are a number of things that will be really interesting to talk to you about further. But um, but until then, certainly from myself, just um, thank you very much for joining myself and Chris today. We're hugely appreciative. Thank you.
No, thanks for inviting me. It's been a pleasure.